Well, I'm glad you're here. We're continuing this series, Stressed to Blessed. Good to see you on our campus. Good to see you online. Now, if you've missed any of the first three messages, let me tell you kind of what we've been looking at. Different areas of our life that without God's strength, without God's power, without God's guidance can be a great source of stress. And yet it's oftentimes in these very areas that God meets us and can transform those areas where we begin to experience blessings. Say how? Well, you do it God's way, you do it through God's strength. And so we've kind of been looking at some different areas of our life uh, where this can play itself out. If you've missed any of the first three messages, let me encourage you to go back and watch or listen to those. We do teach in series, not just sermons, so they all kind of build off of each other. So those are on our website, vaughnforce.com. If you like to watch the service, you can do that at vaughnforce.com or our Vaughnforce YouTube uh, channel. And then we also have a new way to just listen to the sermon audio through our Vaughn Forest uh, sermon uh, podcast. Not the other six podcasts. This is just simply a podcast you can subscribe to and the audio for each week's message uh, will download for you automatically. A lot of our volunteers use that because maybe they have to serve at both hours. And we have found that to be a super convenient option for them. So let me tell you what we're going to go today. today. The title of today's message is From Stressed to Blessed with My Finances. And unfortunately, money, finances can be a great source of stress. We talked about marriage last week. Money, by most studies, is the number one thing that married couples fight about. But it doesn't have to be that way. And money actually doesn't have to be a great source of stress in your life. And that's my hope for today. My hope for today is by the time we're done with the message that you see that money can actually be something that serves as a blessing in your life. So let me give you the big idea for this series. If you're new, if you're just jumping in, you're just seeing this for the first time. But we've talked about this every week. And the reason why is because it's really the gospel foundational point to doing this entire series. So let me read it and then I'm going to talk about it for a moment. Moving from stress to blessed has more to do with the internal condition of my heart than the external condition of my circumstances. Way back in week one, we talked about what it means to be born again from John chapter three. And when you are born again, when you experience salvation, when you've been saved, when you ask Jesus to come into your life, it's because you got to a point where you recognized you were a sinner in need of a savior. And the good news for you, the good news for me is that Jesus paid the price for your sin. Jesus paid the price for my sin. And that matters. It's one thing to acknowledge that Jesus died for the sins of the world. It's quite another to recognize he died for your sins and that your sins are included in the sins of the world. And then you rightly acknowledge that he defeated death through the resurrection. And that matters because the only person that can offer you eternal life is the person who defeated death through the resurrection. Jesus did that. Therefore, he can rightly say, as he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, when you get to a place in your life where you experience that and you're born again, there's several amazing things that happen. First of all, you get a new identity. You move from old to new, from death to life. You are now in Christ. You also have a new home. Your home is now in heaven. And one day, when you pass from this life to the next, you get to be with Jesus for all of eternity. So while Jesus still has you here on this earth, he wants you to be a light. And the implications of all of this as it pertains to our series is that it's this change that's happened internally that dictates now our perspective, how we look at life, how we face trials. See, becoming a Christ follower doesn't mean all of your circumstances go well. It doesn't mean you miss out on life's problems. What it means is you have a different perspective. Why? Because of the change that has occurred at your heart. And this is different from the world. See, for the world, it's what's going on around them that determines their level of joy. 
See, for those in the world, if circumstances are good, then life is good. If circumstances are bad, life is bad. For the Christ follower, we say, no, we don't simply just react to what's going on around us. We respond from the change that's happened in us. Now, think about that for a second when it comes to money. It's not as easy to see with money. Sometimes there is a positive external motivation for why we spend our money. Maybe we see a need and we want to be a part of the solution. Sometimes it's a negative external motivation. We see something and we want it. We don't need it. We just want it, right? And then think about what's going on inside our heart. Only you know what's going on inside your heart. Sometimes it might be coming from a really good place. There's a healthy, loving internal motivation in your heart for why you want to spend money. And other times it might be jealousy. It might be greed, okay? So so it's not as easy to discern this internal condition, external circumstance, when it comes to money and how that relates to stress and blessing in our lives. Let me take you to a verse. I think it's helpful to give us some guidance. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I put a couple things in a different color here to draw some attention to them because this verse is interesting. It talks about heart. It talks about being a cheerful giver. And it says that the way those things are linked, cheer, joy, gratitude, is through what we give. Interesting. That's not often the first word that pops into our mind when it comes to money. So what does this verse practically mean as it pertains to the sermon series that we're in? Well, it's actually our big idea for today. And if you got your message notes, maybe you want to jot it down somewhere in the margin there. The key to experiencing blessing with your finances is becoming a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. And again, this is countercultural. See, the world would say, hold on to your money. It's your money. You earned it. Spend your money on what you want. You deserve it. But what God's word says is the way that you will experience blessing in your life when it comes to money is by actually releasing it. You want to hold on to your money? You want to look at it like yours and what you get to use it for and all about you? Eventually, if not already, you're going to experience a lot of stress. As opposed to God's way, where God says when you begin to release that money, cheerfully, as a giver, you will begin to, at a heart level, experience blessing in your life. Therefore, now seeing money as a source of blessing. So grab your message notes. We're going to get practical. I'm going to give you five steps to take to being a cheerful Giver. If you're joining us online, you can access those message notes right here at vaughnforest.com. Those of you on campus, find them. They're in your bulletin. Get them out. Click your pens. Let's get ready to jot down some notes, okay? And the reason why we ask you to jot down notes every week is so that you can remember it. And if you remember it, you're more likely to put it into practice. That matters because we think God gave us the Bible not just for information, but for transformation. And transformation occurs when we put it into practice. So how do you move? How do you begin to become a cheerful giver? Now, some of you already do this really well. Some of you do a little bit of this, and then for some of you, this might be a new concept altogether, that it's actually releasing and giving money at a heart level that allows money to be a blessing, okay? So we're going to move through these steps, and again, by the end of the time, I think you'll see money can be a great source of blessing. Here's the first one, first way, how to become a cheerful giver. Assess where my finances are currently being spent. Just take a look. Sometimes when we talk about money and we talk about finances, the first step that's... um, offered up or suggested is a budget. And I'm a big fan of a budget. We live on a budget in our home, and we, we run the finances here at Vaughn Forest, Hardy Sellers, and, 
and his team do an amazing job with all things financial here at our church. And, and that's run through a budget. The budget's great. But a budget is a plan on paper for how money will be spent if the money actually is there to be spent. And sometimes before we jump to a budget, we might need to look backwards maybe over the last 30 days and say, where did it go? Like, I know it was in my checking account, and it's not there anymore. Like, where did it go? What happened? So you just take inventory. And here's what you might find. It might be that where the money is currently being spent, that is actually why it's a source of stress. Now, Jesus gives us some insight into why this may be on the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 a couple times today. Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. And tucked away is this little verse in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's, a, here's what Jesus is basically saying. Wherever you spend your money, where your treasure is, where your treasure went, I've assessed it. Hey, it went over there. It was spent over there. That's where my treasure is. There your heart will be also. We tend to think that we give our money to the things we care about. That's only true initially. Oftentimes, that is the initial reason why we give. But what happens over time is that gets inverted. And what happens over time is it's no longer our heart leading our money, our heart telling our money where to go. It's actually our money that's leading our heart. You got a, a kid, they're getting ready to go to college, and maybe y'all have worked out an agreement where they pay for some of the school and you pay for some of the school. If you start helping pay tuition for your kids, you will start paying attention to what's happening at that university. Why? Your money's going there. You're going to start to care about it. If someone says, you really need to invest in this company, and you start investing money in that company, you're going to start paying attention to what's happening in that company. We care about where our money goes. So here's the question. Where's your money going? Where's your money going? And if your money is going places that are creating stress, maybe God says, let's try a new way. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to experience joy and move from stress to blessing with money, the first place to start is just see quite simply where the money has been going. Second step, how to be a cheerful giver. Acknowledge the term my finances is a misnomer. That's just a fun word. Turn to your neighbor and say misnomer. Go ahead. Now I want you to say it with great enthusiasm like you care. Turn to your neighbor and say misnomer. See, it's just fun, right? It's a fun word to say, okay? Now, the word misnomer means inaccurate. So you kind of just called your neighbor a name, but we, we'll let it slide, okay, since I told you to do it, okay? It's just like an inaccurate description. It's not real. It's not an accurate way of saying it. And I got a sermon entitled, Moving from Stress to Bless with My Finances. So I'm guilty of a misnomer, okay? What are we saying there? Well, we, have, we have our English language. We have to understand what we're talking about, obviously. But the term my finances, from a biblical perspective, it's a misnomer. Because what we rightly acknowledge is that God owns everything. Look at what his word has to say about this from the book of Psalms. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And well, that makes sense. I mean, God created the world. So of course it's his. Everything that's in it is his. All the people who are in it, created in God's image, are his. But what, what does that mean when it comes to money? Well, well, first of all, the word everything actually means everything. So that would include money. But let me give you a more specific verse that speaks specifically to that. First Chronicles 29, 12. Wealth and honor come from you, God. You are the ruler of all things. So everything in your life comes from God. God owns it all. Now, there's some major implications for this when it comes to how we look at our finances, they're not really our finances. 
So you get to a place in your life where you make a really significant shift when it comes to money. You move from seeing money that's something that's yours to rightly acknowledging that it's actually God's. See, what the world says is that's your money. You spend that money however you want. And what we believe God's word says is no, 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 no. It all belongs to him. This is God's money. We aren't the owners. The word from the Bible is stewards, stewardship. Sometimes we see that word translated as manager. So God owns it all, including money, and he allows some of it to pass through our hands. And ultimately, what we are being evaluated upon by God is whether or not we are good stewards, whether or not we are good managers. See, a lot of Christians wrongly ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with my money? That's the wrong question. When a heart shift occurs, here's the question you ask. God, what would you have me do with the money that you own that you've entrusted me with? Hey, God, what would you have me do with your money? God, you've entrusted me with some of your financial resources. God, what would you have me do with this money? Do you see the difference? It's a shift at a heart level. See, as long as you see money as yours, let me tell you eventually where that's going to get you. Stress. But when you rightly acknowledge it belongs to God, he's entrusted you with some of it, and now you're letting him guide you with what he wants to do with his money through you, whole new way of living. It's a way to experience joy. It's a way to become a cheerful giver. This is the foundational point to this message. If you miss this, if you miss this truth, if you decide that sounds fine, I'm going to do things my way, here's my guaranteed promise. You'll be stressed when it comes to money. You'll be stressed when it comes to money. It makes no sense to trust God with your eternity, but not trust him with the financial resources that he's entrusted you with. You got more faith than me. How you can trust God with an eternity you can't see, but yet not trust him with something tangible in your hand. God says, well, it's mine, and I'm allowing you to have some of it as a blessing. Will you let me guide what I want to do with the financial resources I've entrusted you with? And if you do that, church, you'll experience blessing. Third way to become a cheerful giver. Determine the priority of my finances. Temporary things or eternal purposes. Now, we're going to leave this up here for a second because it's a lot to write down, and I want to talk about it. There are some temporary things with money that you're going to have to spend money on. And that's not always bad. Sometimes we just kind of, you know, bad versus good. You know, well, let's just kind of unpack that for a second. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't a house a temporary thing? It's not going to last forever. But I think it's a good thing to use some of the financial resources God's entrusted you with to provide a home for your family. Now, there's some boundaries and there's some standards. And I think you need to have your ratios all kind of lined up. But at the end of the day, it's temporary. And yet it's one of the reasons God gave us money. He gave us money to be entrusted with, to use for temporary things. Let me tell you what's temporary in my house. Groceries. They don't even make it to the fridge. They don't even make it to the pantry, right? They eat them on the counter. We're like, we just bought them, right? They're temporary. Three boys. What's temporary? Anything they wear, shoes and clothes, temporary because they outgrow them. What's temporary? Something breaks, we gotta fix it, okay? So there are temporary things that money is going to have to be invested in. That's just this thing called life. Here's the point. Where's the priority? Where's the priority? So many times we place the priority on stuff that ultimately, end of the day, it's temporary. It's fleeting. It's passing. It's not going to last. And so God knows we need financial resources for temporary things. The challenge is making sure we don't place temporary things 
at a greater priority than eternal purposes. So let me take you back to Matthew chapter 6. These are the verses that lead up to the verse that we've already read. We're actually going to see the verse that we've already read at the end of this, where Jesus gives us some great clarity on money and investing money for eternal purposes as opposed to temporary things. Okay, so back to Matthew 6, verse 19. This is Jesus talking. Again, Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is like, those are temporary things. Don't store up for your money. Don't spend all your money on temporary things. Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Moths and vermin don't destroy them. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, read it earlier, there your heart will be also. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, the money that you're entrusted with, when you use that money for eternal purposes, don't miss this. This is pretty remarkable. Jesus says you're storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. Now, there's a little bit of a mystery to that. That's a question I've been asked a lot, 22 years of being a pastor. When Jesus says you're storing up for yourself treasure in heaven, what is the treasure that Jesus is talking about? Now, here's the answer that I'll give you. I don't know. I don't know. I've never been to heaven. If you meet someone who has, turn and walk the other way, okay? They, they, there might be some issues going on there, just saying, okay? I've been to heaven. I ain't seen it. I don't know specifically what the treasure is, but I know what Jesus is saying. And here's what he's saying. You're storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. It's like Jesus is giving sound financial advice. Don't take your money and invest it over here. That's all gonna go away. It's temporary. Use the money you've been entrusted with and invest it in eternal purposes to store it for yourself, treasures in heaven. So I'm not really sure exactly what that means. Well, what do you think of when we think of treasure on earth? Incredibly valuable. So in a world marred by sin, in a fallen, broken world, if we can see value and treasure, how much greater will we see value and treasure for all of eternity? And Jesus says you're storing up treasure for yourself. So use the money you've been entrusted with primarily priority for eternal purposes. And you can do that at all times with whatever money you've been entrusted with. You can invest that money in eternal purposes. And about, I don't know, three or four years ago, I got super intrigued by this idea. See, I always recognized that the money that God's entrusted you with, that you can use some of that money to invest in eternal purposes. But what I got super intrigued about about three or four years ago was that you could actually store up for yourself treasure in heaven that would continue to store up treasure in heaven when you're already in heaven. I got intrigued by that idea. I got intrigued by this idea that you could actually make some decisions while you're actually here on this earth with the financial resources you've been entrusted with. And then once you go meet Jesus, and unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, we're all gonna die. So when we die and we're in heaven, what if some decisions you made while you were still here on earth with those financial resources continued to provide treasures for you in heaven when you're already in heaven and continue to advance the kingdom for future generations. That was a super intriguing idea to me. And so we were able to then learn more about that and through our local Alabama Baptist Foundation and through a ministry 
um, out based out in Colorado Springs uh, began to see that there's actually some opportunities to do this. So this was over three years ago, and we saw that this was something that Christ followers could do. And so my wife, Morgan, and I, uh, we went first. This was something that we wanted to start talking about with families in our church. But before um, I was going to talk about it with everybody, I wanted to go first because I always have this sneaky suspicion that I'm like at an Amway convention and somebody's going to try to sell me something, okay? So I just want to make sure that's not what was happening here. Look over here. No, it's over here. I, I just want to make sure that's not what was going on. So we did this in the fall of 2019 and January and February of 2020. And then we literally finished the process the first week of March in 2020. I don't have to tell you what happened then. And so um, we've mentioned this a couple of times um, in the last couple of years. But, but truthfully, let me just confess as your pastor, I have not talked about this enough. I've not talked about this enough that there's actually some decisions that you need to be making now. And classically, we think of this as like, what's your will? Or do you have a financial estate? Or, or do you have an estate plan? Or what's going to happen? And, and for Morgan and I, when, again, a few years ago, we realized we've got some things lined up, but they're not up to date. I mean, Henry's been born and we didn't update things. And if I can just be honest with you, it was, it was a source of stress. But we weren't exactly sure what to do. And that's not something you just want to sit down and Google. Like, what am I supposed to do? And, and, and so we were grateful to have Christ-centered biblical guidance in this process. And this is now something that we have available for you, free of charge, that if you call Vaughn Forest Home, it's a service that we provide for you. And again, Morgan and I went first, and so I can speak to this and tell you that it's legit. So let me show you a quick little video that explains it further, and I'll talk a little bit more about it. So take a look at this. We hear all sorts of reasons from folks why they put off the estate planning process. And one of those often is, I just don't have an estate that's worth planning for. You don't understand how complicated my family dynamics are. It will cost me too much. We have a plan that's in place. It seems to do everything we want. I don't think we need your help. I'm too young to do this. I don't need to be concerned about an estate plan. I'm not going to die right now. I can do this later. I don't want to share my personal details with somebody that I don't know. I just don't have enough accumulated at this stage of life. We have so many other priorities we need to take care of. I know this is important, I just don't have time to do this right now. We don't know the difference between a trust or a will. How do we even get started? These are all legitimate concerns that all of us have. But we have walked alongside thousands of families over the years. Families of every imaginable net worth. I've worked with one family that had 18 kids. Some plans are simple because the needs are simple. Some plans are extraordinarily complex. And estate planning should never begin in your lawyer's office. It really ought to begin on your knees with a biblical understanding of what it is that we're dealing with, what the implications are for our legacy and to a future. We are friends in Christ that uh, want to help guide you through a process that uh, will have a big impact on your family. The process of working with me or any of our estate specialists is easy. The first thing that would happen is that one of our scheduling team would contact you to set a telephone appointment. And in that first conversation, it's mainly going to be just us getting to know you. We'll ask a series of family questions, ballpark questions about finances. The first call we had with our consultant was just a conversation. You know, where are you? What do you want to accomplish? And subsequent conversations kind of stepped us through that process. People who are knowledgeable help guide you and walk you through those kinds of things without any pressure whatsoever. We come back to you with a written proposal that will lay all of that out and it will show you kind of the before and after. 
It'll show you how things are going to go under the way you have things structured now, but it'll also show you what could be done. We'll do that as often as we need to until we get to a place where you can say that's exactly what we want. And it's at that point that we help you get connected to your own attorney if you have one. About three-fourths of the time, families have no clue what attorney to turn to, so I'm thankful we have a referral network of Christian attorneys. Those attorneys all work from a reduced fixed fee, so there's never any surprises. When you're done and you have your documents signed, we will provide a, an estate planning reference binder that will give you an organized place to keep them, and it'll be a package that you'll feel very confident in when everything is said and done. We feel like God has called us to this place where we serve the body of Christ in ways where we can design a stewardship plan where you can minimize taxes and maximize what's passing on to your family and to ministries that you care about. Everybody that we talked to was uh, compassionate, caring, and worked with us so well and were just so wonderful that I can't imagine anyone not calling them today. We need to be thoughtful, prayerful about how we approach those end-of-life decisions. Whether you've got a will in place already or never have done it, this is about stewardship and you need to be able to finish life with confidence and peace that you've done a good thing, a thing that you would be glad to step into eternity and have the Lord Himself evaluate. So let me take you to the next step that's on your connection card today. I mentioned the connection card earlier. Uh, receive more info about legacy estate planning God's way. If that's something that you would like to begin, um, let me encourage you to mark that next step. Again, this is something that we provide for you free of charge. If you call Vaughn Forest Home, my wife and I have been through the process. And in that video, you saw that uh, brown kind of leather bound uh, n big book looking thing. We have one of those. And I can just tell you, it's a great source of blessing. And for a lot of people, these are the kind of things that keep them up at night. It's stressful. What if? What if this happened? What, what would happen here? And so it's great to have someone who loves Jesus walk you through that process and get you to a place where, where you feel good about it. So if you've never done anything like that, okay, let us serve you as your church family and help you, okay? Again, these are, these are outside uh, Christian-run organizations we partner with, so we're not going to be all up in your business. They're going to be walking you through this. And then the other thing I want you to know is on this week's podcast, the other six podcasts, we release those on Tuesday mornings, I'm going to take about 15 or 20 minutes to talk about this process in great detail because I'm sure you even have more questions just from that little video. I don't have enough time to talk about it in the sermon, but I'm going to talk about it in the podcast. So even if you don't usually listen to the podcast, but you're intrigued, interested in this, make sure you tune in this week and we'll talk a little bit more about that, okay? So we're three steps in. The last two, step four and step five of, of being a generous giver, a, a grateful giver, having generosity, gratitude, are really then the steps to take from the first three things we've talked about, okay? So let me give you number four. Fourth way to be a generous giver. Repent from my reluctance or my compulsion that's keeping me from being a cheerful giver. These words, reluctance and compulsion, are from the verse that we read earlier. We're going to read it again here in just a minute. And the word repent, it's kind of a loaded word because maybe preachers, you know, yelling repent and different things like that. But the word repent, don't, don't be overwhelmed by the word repent. It simply means to go a different way. The picture of repentance is I'm walking one way and now I'm going to turn and go the exact opposite direction. That, that's all it means. So again, if money is something you see that's yours, repent and recognize. No, it belongs to God. 
I'm going to get a new way. If money is something that's a source of stress because of the choices you're making, repent from those choices and try a new way. If money is something that, yeah, I give, but I only give because I feel like I have to, we'll repent from that attitude and try a new way to be a cheerful giver. See, really the point of every single sermon is repentance. We look at God's word. Here's what God says. If my life is not aligned with God's word, then repentance is what it's called for. Now, what happens when we repent? We turn and we go a new direction. Do we go in this direction in our own strength? No. We go in God's strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to our verse because these are the word. This is the the, the verse that we got the words from. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if cheerfully giving isn't part of your life right now as it pertains to the money that God's entrusted you with, here's the step. Repent. Go in a new direction. Try a new way. And here's why I have no apologies for asking you to do that. I think it will lead you to greater blessing in your life. I think you'll see God wants something for you. God doesn't need anything from you. So repent, try a new way, see if you experience God's blessing. So step five, this is the practical step then to take. Put into practice cheerful giving that expresses gratitude. What's that for you? What's the step to take that expresses cheerful gratitude with giving? Now, if you've never given before, if all of the money, you walked in here today thinking, I got my money. And you've never released any of that money back to God. That's a great first step to take, okay? Maybe you've been giving for a long time, but you just kind of got in a rut. It's a little bit of a routine. It kind of feels monotonous. You don't really have a heart behind it. Okay, maybe there's a step to take. You may know the step to take right now, or it might be something you want to sit down tonight after you put the kids to bed and talk about it. Hey, what step do we need to do to practice cheerful giving? Can I tell you that when you practice cheerful giving and you express a heart of gratitude towards God, ultimately you're the one who experiences the blessing in your life. L- let me end our time together today with a, with a quick little story, a quick little illustration. Now, if you call Vaughn Forrest home, I'm pretty sure I told this story two years ago, okay? So um, if you've heard it before, I'm not apologizing to tell you again because I think it's a great story, okay? But if you've never heard it before, I think it just gives the heart of what we're talking about today. So let me take you back nine years ago. Okay, nine years ago. Can't believe it's already been nine years ago. So nine years ago, Sam, our oldest son, would have been four. And this would have been in August, I guess, of 2013. We were living over in Georgia at the time. And y'all know how it is in the southeast in August. It's just hot. It's just hot at all times. It was a Sunday afternoon. We came out after church. And at that time, we just had Sam and Jacob. And um, Henry had not yet been born. And so Morgan had Jacob in one vehicle. And I had Sam in my vehicle. And Morgan had the minivan, which was our nice vehicle. And I had another vehicle, which wasn't very nice. And I'm not going to name the vehicle because you may drive that vehicle. I don't want you to think I'm taking a shot at you. I'm not, okay? But the vehicle I was driving wasn't very nice. And it also did not have rear air conditioning. And so that mattered if you're four and it's August in Georgia. So as I'm strapping Sam into his little car seat, I mean, he's already just starting to sweat and his hair's getting wet. And, you know, I, I crank up the car and I at least have a little air blowing on me and I can see my rearview mirror, it, no air on him. He just looks so hot and I just feel like a terrible father. So I just like, hey, buddy, I'm really sorry. I start talking to him. I, I adjust the rearview mirror so we can see each other and I haven't backed out yet, the safety first. And so I look at him I'm like, hey, buddy, I'm really sorry that you don't have any air conditioning. And one day, daddy's gonna buy a different car that has rear air conditioning, like mommy's awesome minivan, so that when you ride with dad, it's not so hot. And that was honestly my way of appeasing my guilt. That's all I was trying to do. Right. Was just tell him dad's intentions are in the right place. Well, Sam speaks up and he just says, well, daddy, 
why don't we just go to the car store right now and you can buy a different car? I thought that was a great idea. So that's exactly what we did. We did not do that. Okay, no, we didn't. And pull up in my driveway in a new car. Didn't want to have that afternoon conversation. Okay, so we did not do that. So I said, well, buddy, you know, that's not really something that we can do today. Um, he's like, why, daddy? You know how, I mean, once you get in those conversations with four-year-olds, right? I'm like, well, buddy, here's the thing. Like, cars cost money, and, mom and mommy and daddy are saving money, but we don't really have enough money yet to go to the car store and buy a different car, but we're going to keep saving. And one day, I'm trying to get back to the point of the story, right? One day, we'll go to the car store, and we'll get a different car that'll have rear air conditioning, and so you won't be so hot. Now, by this time, I'm driving, and we're on our way home, and again, I'm thinking, conversation's over. And then Sam says this. He says, well, daddy, why don't we just go buy the house and I could give you my piggy bank and then you'd have enough money to buy a new car. So I brought Sam's piggy bank. This was the piggy bank he had in mind. Yes, that is a G. He's walked with the Lord from an early age, church, okay? (laughs) Walked with the Lord from an early age. He didn't really have a choice in the matter. It says born to be a Bulldogs fan, right? He didn't have a choice in the matter, okay? He was born into it, okay? But this is what my four-year-old Sam had in mind that day when he said, Daddy, let's just go home. I'll give you my piggy bank, and then you can go buy a car. Now, here's what's amazing about this piggy bank, and we were laughing about it this morning. Sam and I, we were shaking a little bit. Still got a little bit of change in there. We don't even know what's in there. He just dropped a few coins in over the years. That's about what was in there that day. There was nothing in this piggy bank that was going to help me as his dad. There was nothing in this piggy bank that was going to give me the money I needed to purchase the vehicle that day. But can I tell you what I knew in that moment when he told me that day and why it's my favorite story to share when it comes to money. I knew in that moment when Sam said to me, Dad, you can have my piggy bank. Here's what I knew. As his dad, I had his trust. I had his heart. Sam never stopped to consider, if I give dad all the money I have, how will I ever buy toys again? Never crossed his mind. Sam never stopped to consider, if I give dad my piggy bank, how will I ever have clothes again or food to eat? Or will that mean we won't have a house anymore? None of those thoughts crossed his mind. Why? Because as a four-year-old little boy, here's what Sam knew. Dad's got all that figured out. Dad's got all that figured out. But if I could give him a little something to help, I'd love to do that. His heart was in the right place. I had his trust. I had his heart. Church, please don't miss this because this is where so many of us miss it. We get so hung up on money. Well, is it this percentage or is it that percentage? Or does God want this or does God want that? You need to understand for a second that when we talk about money and we talk about giving God money, here's what God sees from our perspective. Here's what God sees us doing. Something that we think is so valuable, God says, yeah, that's a cute little piggy bank there. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. God doesn't need your money. God wants your trust. Whatever it is you think you could offer up to God today, God says, as someone who owns it all, I appreciate your piggy bank. He said, well, then why does that matter? It matters for the same reason it mattered to me that day as a dad to know that I had the trust of my little boy. And here's what God says he is to us, a loving father. See, if you're one of God's children, money and the way that you express worship with money is one of the clearest ways you can show God, hey, God, you've got my heart. 
Hey, God, you've got my trust. Hey, God, I'm not going to worry about the cares of the world because you've shown me enough that I trust that you'll take care of that as well. Would you bow your head with me this morning as we declare that to him? God, that truth is why a lot of us need to repent. We just hold on to money. We've somehow falsely concluded that it's ours. We confess that. And God, for many of us, today is a moment of clarity for why money is such a great source of stress. We've gotten it all wrong. And God, we want to repent from that. God, we want to go a new way. God, we, we want to rightly acknowledge that it's your money. We want to express gratitude that you've entrusted us with some of us. And then God, we want to then give that money from a heart of gratitude as cheerful givers for eternal purposes as your children. And in doing so, tangibly declare to you, God, you have our heart. God, we trust you. God, we know you can make a way even when we can't see it. And so God, as we enter into this time of response, would you just speak to us as a loving father would speak to his children. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.